Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We love boy moms here at On Boys. We're checking in with Gemma Gaudette. We talked with her a couple years ago. Want to see how things are going now? This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here, and thank you, too, for supporting our sponsors. Boy moms are some of my favorite people. Obviously, not exclusively, Janet. I like you, too. Thank you. But. Today, we are talking with one of our favorite boy moms, Gemma Gaudette. Gemma is a mom of two boys, and she is the host of Idaho Matters, a Boise State public radio show about the arts, politics, growth, and education. Full disclosure, Janet and I have both been guests on Gemma's show, and we recorded our first On Boys podcast with her back in 2021, when her boys were 9 and 13. Now her guys are 11 and 15, and we thought it would be fun to catch up, see what things have changed and what stayed the same, especially now that more people seem to be thinking about and talking about masculinity, gender, and boys. Welcome, Gemma. It is so good to see both of you again. I love doing this. All right, straight off. Do you think, from your perspective... That things have gotten better or worse for boys in general since we last talked? Oh, that is a good question. I don't think they've gotten worse, but I don't necessarily think they've gotten better. Um, mm-hmm. I think they've kind of stayed the same, frankly. Uh, and and I think some of that is we're I, I feel like we're talking about, you know, this toxic masculinity in terms of like adult men and how it impacts adult men. And I, I would argue that we need to be talking about it even sooner, right? Because mm. we, I think we start to see it really when boys kind of start to figure out their gender, which with both of my boys was around about three, four years old, where all of a sudden they, they were like, I'm a boy, because all of a sudden it's, it's like society then starts putting these masculine traits on your child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is a difference between being a boy and what we in our culture think is masculine. Because I have two very sensitive boys and we, you know, and I, I have one who's quite dramatic and quite emotional, right? We like to put- <laughs> I'm laughing a little bit because I have followed Gemma online for a while now. And sometimes she will um, share videos of this kid and she quite dramatic, maybe an understatement for your child, Gemma. A hundred percent, right? But those qualities are what we tend to label girls. That is true. And, and we need to be talking about this, I think, with how, frankly, adults in our society put this toxic masculinity on boys at a very young age. So long story short, I don't think it's gotten better, but I don't necessarily think it's gotten worse. 
You know, it's so interesting because I feel like yes to all of that. And because we see and talk about, you know, harmful versions of masculinity and all the frankly terrible things that some guys do that have been written off and have gotten passes Mm -hmm. for years. I also see people kind of imposing that on boys in a way that they expect boys to do those things and they almost treat them as if they've done them or they so overreact if a boy just, I mean, a boy could literally accidentally bump into another kid, totally incidental contact. And sometimes it's taken as a provocation and it's taken as uh, you know, Oh, he might be violent. And so I feel like there's that side of it too. Oh, you're speaking my language. I a hundred percent agree with that statement. I think that, you know, let, let's talk about even um, dating. Right. And we're not quite there yet with my oldest, but I've seen it with, you know, his friends and, and all of that. But all of a sudden, when you talk about like dating relationships with these and they're kids, right? They're yes. 14, 15, 16 years old. It is this idea of, you know, you will treat a girl with respect. You will do this. You will do that. It's like, of course they will. But there's an automatic assumption that boys are bad. There is an automatic assumption that a boy is a predator and that a boy is inherently bad. What I like to say to that is give me some credit to how I am raising my children. Nice. And I am raising good boys. Now, they're boys. <laughs> they're physical. They've got testosterone, right? There are these things where I think we can get very uncomfortable thinking that boys are aggressive. Mm. And we also have such horrible examples, you know, right now in, in our culture of boys who are highly aggressive. I mean, to the point of being killers, right? Yeah, and I mean, we, we we can't neglect that. It's it's a fact, right? right? right. There it have is. been it oh, is. there have been plenty all, all almost necessarily of the all, majority almost exclusively of the mass shooters have been young males. So 100%. much of the gun violence um around the country, cities, um country is young males. So we can't neglect that. Yes, that is a fact, but that's not everybody. It's not everybody. And it is, and and it's one of these things where I just get very frustrated as a boy mom when we label all boys as bad, as mm-hmm. aggressive, as having anger issues. Because I think that when we do that, at some point, our boys believe that. Yeah. We had Michael Gurian on the podcast not too long ago, and he talks about aggression nurturance and aggression does not equal violence. So he talks about aggression nurturance and this is boys, right? He's going to come and give you a bear hug. He's going to, you know, do that more physical expression of his feelings Mm -hmm. than typically girls would do. And you're right. We're, we can be uncomfortable with that, but it's not bad and it's not wrong. Here's an example I'll give you just in my house, right? So my boys are three and a half years apart. My oldest, who just turned 15 um, in early May, is he's a big kid. He's between, I don't know, like six one, six two. He's about 200 pounds. He's a big, At 15. Kid. <laughs> At 15. 
Um, my my eleven year old is about four foot eleven, right? He's he's about ninety pounds, and they go at it, you know, physically. There was this point though where we kept saying to our oldest, we were like, "You can't be physical with him. You're going to hurt him, you know. So you just can't do that." Well, our youngest is, can be a little brat, and he also saw an opening to be able to be physical because he didn't have any repercussions with it. Right. <laughs> so they, mm-hmm. so they would get into these fights and our youngest would just start pummeling our oldest, but our oldest who really is this gentle giant would finally lose it. Right. And just, yeah. and, and so I had this really long talk with my oldest a couple of weeks ago. He was very upset and he was just like, he goes, he's, he's, and, and, and there was this, I could feel in a way that he almost felt like a victim of abuse. And I think we had kind of set that up in a sense. And so I said to him, I go, well, if he punches you, I go, you don't you push him. He's like, well, no, you told me not to touch him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. okay." And I said, so I think we have a miscommunication here because when we say don't be physical, when we say, um, you know, you're going to hurt him. And then, then you say, well, I just want to beat him up. I go, I'm going to believe you want to beat him up. And that's not a, that's not good. You can't do that. I mean, there's many issues with that 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 come along with that. And I said, but I had no idea that you were taking it. So literally Mm -hmm. that you were literally, you were sitting here taking it. I go, yeah, you can push him. You can shove him hundred percent. If he's getting up in your face so horribly, and I've seen him get aggressive with you, you have every right to push him or shove him and get him off you. And then my oldest was like, he goes, uh, and he started crying. And he was like, I can't believe you thought I want, I want to beat him up. He goes, he goes, you know, he goes, even when I get so angry with him, he goes, he gets scared. Like when I get mad at him, he gets scared. And then I just, I see him get scared and I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to hurt him. So my whole point with that story is it's like, we don't sometimes give boys enough credit to have all of these emotions, Right. And for for us to have these conversations with them to kind of walk them through it and to say, you know what, you have every right to feel the way you feel. And you have every right, frankly, especially when it's your brother and your boys, if he's hitting you and punching you, yeah, you can you can shove him, right? right. You, you can get him off you. Girls don't necessarily interact like that. And I think sometimes, again, we assume that we can teach the boy out of boys, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm oh, yeah. sorry. That was that was a uh, experienced mom of four boys going. No, that does not work. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. So doesn't. so you have to almost put these boundaries with boys where they can be physical with each other. You know, I find myself thinking, and I bet you did too, Janet. Do you remember when we talked with Teacher Tom, and he was talking about uh, roughhousing with young kids? And mm-hmm. boys and girls, because remember at his preschool, like they don't frown on roughhousing. They kind of create room for that. And he talked about how how exquisitely children pay attention to each other. They are watching those cues. The fact that your oldest was able to verbalize that, frankly, is like pretty astounding. But what he said right there is so reassuring because even when these two brothers are going at it, right? Mm-hmm. When they're they're angry at each other and voices are raised and sometimes they're physical, they are watching. And there's that line that your, your oldest son doesn't want to cross. He doesn't want to really hurt his brother 
physically or emotionally. And I'm tearing up thinking about this because it's such a beautiful thing. Right. And I, and that's the whole thing. And, it, and, and as a mom, for me was this aha moment of like, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You don't want to beat the snot out of him. I mean, there's a part of you that does, which sure. I sometimes don't, don't blame you for. Right. But, <laughs> but you, you really don't want to do something that will harm him. But at the same time, I, I read this thing uh, and I wish I could remember where it was, but it, it was this idea of you have two kids in your home that do not have brains that are fully formed, that, you know, their frontal lobes are not formed. They are completely separate personalities. And you've kind of created a situation as a family for them to have to figure each other out and live in this, not necessarily chaos, but, but live in an environment that is highly uncomfortable because, yep. because of those factors. Right. Yeah. And, and we just, I feel like we, we have to give boys room to breathe and, and to say that it is okay to actually kind of sometimes feel this aggression because you're going to feel it. Yeah. How do you work through it? And what does that look like in certain situations? Right. Because I think in the situation with my kids, it's like, look, if you have to get physical with each other, sometimes we need to put some parameters around that, but I'm not going to disallow that anymore because I feel like I did more harm than good. Even in when terms it, of the pure physicality of it, right? You yeah. Know, so you've, yes. got, you've got a 15 year old who is certainly, um, heavier than his brother right now, stronger than his brother right now, taller than his brother right now. Mm -hmm. He's learning how to use his body. The 11-year-old's learning his body and like he, he's just waiting for the day when he oh, will be 100%. stronger and bigger. And I've seen a lot of times they like to just test their abilities mm -hmm. against each mm -hmm. other because someday, mm -hmm. and they don't know when that day is, but someday your youngest is going to be able to match or take down your oldest. And he just wants to keep trying to find out when that day is. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. we talk about that a lot, right? But then I think too, when we look at, when we look at this idea of, I don't like the word to use aggression, but I mean, you know, but they do, they feel those, they, they, they it's the testosterone in them. I mean, yep. these are, these are boys, these are men. So how do we funnel that? Right. Yes. So like, for example, with me, I have told both of them that it's like, you have every right to be angry with me. You don't have to like me. I mean, you do not have to like me. In fact, I'm not your friend but you will be respectful of me. You will never lay your hand on me, yeah. right? And, and you will be respectful even when you disagree with me because you can disagree with me. You can argue with me. You can do all of those things, but here are the parameters in yeah. how you will do that. And that's what and they need to hear. That's what they need to hear. Yes. You can do this, but you can't do that. And I, I think what you said earlier, Gemma, about going, starting younger, starting way earlier, then you cannot wait till you have a tween or a teen and start talking about these things. It has to start earlier. Uh, we had Dr. Larry Cohen on, and he has a book about roughhousing and the importance mm -hmm. of roughhousing and recognizing that one of the ways our boys express themselves, connect and bond with each other is this physical interaction, if you want to call it that, 
that we're talking about. That's how, and Jen alluded it, alluded to it too, of just, that's how they're figuring each other out. And, and themselves. themselves. And themselves. And finding that line for themselves. I don't want to hurt my brother. Oops, I hurt my brother. Empathy, empathy developed. Yeah. Allowing it, not making it wrong. And in your home, because they're going to get the message at school, like, you know, it's hands off at recess. You can't do that. So they're, they're, they're always getting this message that what they're doing with their bodies is wrong. I, and I feel like in a lot of ways, they're getting that message everywhere, right? That, yeah. that who they are is, is wrong. And, and, and that goes back to this idea of, of toxic masculinity, right? I mean, I've always said to my boys since they were very little, I've never told my boys to stop crying. And now I do tell them, like, if you need to continue crying, please go in another room. Uh, because That's boundaries again, right? right? The crying is. is not wrong. But right now I have a work call I need to do. So if you need yeah. to continue with that, go somewhere else. Yeah. And you're driving me crazy. So go yes. somewhere else. Right? <laughs> Boundaries. But, but the whole thing is, is it's like, but that feeling is not wrong. Mm -hmm. And no matter what feelings my kids have, it's not wrong. I mean, to the point now at 11 and 15, when we can be like in a, you know, just heated discussion and I might say something and they're like, oh, well, I, so that feeling isn't right. I can't have that. And they throw <laughs> it back at me. And then I'm like, no, that feeling is right. You can, you, you are allowed to have that feeling. You are allowed to have that feeling. There is no wrong feeling, but you can't do X, Y, and Z. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's going back to that, but they throw it back at me to uh, this point. The teen years are so oh, fun for that. Because they know more than you. And because they have been listening all these years and because yes. as they get, you know, a little more sophisticated in their thinking, they know where your soft spots are. They know where your vulnerabilities are. And they know which of your words have you said in the past they can use maybe out of context, but sort of fits in. And yeah, they'll throw it right back at you. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. I, I've i never experienced that. Um, oh, what else? But also, I'm the parent, so I should know how to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's an, yeah. uh, That was a new one the other day. And you know, with that, it was interesting too, because it kind of hit me that, so I, I said, once again, with my oldest, I, I was like, I don't have all the answers. I, I don't know how to tell you that, but I don't kind of winging it, but I will tell you this. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot 
style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. And we're going to pause for just a moment for these messages from our sponsors. And then you can find out what Gemma said. That we can figure anything out together. Love that. (laughs) So we can figure it out. So even last night, he and his younger brother got in this knockdown drag out fight. And, you know, dad intervenes, right? And so then that testosterone comes into the mix. (laughs) For God's sakes. That's so, when you go in the other room, Gemma. I know. Right? This is when you're just like, I, I need to take a room. bath. <laughs> I just, I seriously need to just go away for a minute. <laughs> but we ended up, you know, I ended up talking with my oldest and, and, you know, he, cause he was still, he was, he was really upset with his dad, which he felt was taking his younger brother's side. And mm. it was your dad overreacted, but he once again was like, oh, you're going to hurt your brother. So they talked this morning and figured everything out. But what I said to my oldest at that point was, you know, here's what you've told me. Here's what your brother has told me. And I will tell you this, I wasn't here. I didn't see it. And so it's very difficult for me to have an opinion on it. But I will tell you this. You love your brother. Your brother loves you. You two get really angry with each other because you have these ideas of who the other person is we need to figure out a way that you two can figure out your differences and and find a path forward we can do it together we have to put our heads together and we have to figure it out and i go you're still going to fight you're still going to argue you're still going to have times where you don't like each other but what you need to remember is is that you love him and he loves you nice. and I love we can this. do this together I love this. Um, You both know one of the things that I wrote about in my book, Building Boys, is, you know, you mentioned um, consent and dating and relationships earlier, Gemma. 
Mm-hmm. Huge topic. Everybody thinks about boys and what we need to teach our boys for that. And yes, we have to have explicit conversations, you know, and make sure that they understand sex, uh, make sure they understand boundaries, how to take care of themselves, all of these things. But it's bigger than that. It's relationship education. It is how to get along with and respect and respond to other people. So even in these moments and all of these sibling moments and in talking about, hey, you disagree and here's how you do that and we can work through this. All these things you're talking specifically about brother interactions, but it applies to the larger world. Look at the relationship education that you're giving them. That's the things that boys and girls and all of us need to know to live in any kind of a relationship, whether that Mm -hmm. is, you know, a married relationship, a living together relationship, or frankly, or frankly, even our relationships with our coworkers or in community. How do we get along with people that we don't always agree with? And sometimes we think are stupid. And why do we have to be stuck together? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this, like we, my husband and I have never shied away from having disagreements in front of our kids. Part of it is my parents never argued in front of us ever. So I have a very vivid memory of being a senior in college. I come home for the weekend. My dad and I go out to lunch and my dad is just going off about my mom. I mean, he is so angry and he's just having a moment. And I looked at him and I was like, are you getting divorced? And and he was like, what? No, I was pissed off at your mom. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay, so you've never done that. You literally have, it like scarred me. Like, because oh, I had Destabilizing, never... right? Yes, right. Well, and also because they had never disagreed in front of us. And so we never saw the disagreement and then we never saw them making up. It took me years, yeah, years to figure out how to do that. right in a healthy way and so it is highly important to me that it's like my kids see my husband and I disagree they see us have our moments but they always see us make up and and everything like that and I see that pattern in my kids as well now that they fight right and they here's the thing they fight then they piss us off and we're all mad for the rest of the day and (laughs) fine five Five minutes later, they're like hugging and having a great old time. And then they're like, why are you guys so mad? Because like, we're so mad. Yeah. <laughs> but you, I, I see them pattering themselves after us. I want to veer a little bit. I'm going to, because this is coming into my mind and I really want to talk about this. And that is, you are raising amazing boys. You, Jen, you're raising amazing boys. And, and that's obvious. Then we go out into the world and there's fear of boys. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think partly I got into this work 25 years ago because I had a class of 10 boys and two girls and they were first graders. (laughs) And there were, I, I can admit now there was some fear of like, what if they go out and I can't get them back in? And they were strong and opinionated and I didn't really have the tools. I was a new teacher and I didn't raise boys. So I was like swimming in the ocean of of that. But the other, so there's that. And I, I am a mentor of teachers and I've seen this of yeah. female teachers being mm-hmm. quote unquote afraid of 
the boys. I've experienced this. I used to live in Portland, big city, walk down the street and there's four or five teenage boys walking towards me. Oh, what's, you know, and, and I have that moment and then it's like, no, they're just boys. And I, I always try to say hello and I'm 65 and I'm like invisible to them, but still I try to, you know, interact. Yes. So what is talk about that? What about this fear that we, I, I, I don't know. Do you have that fear? Is that just me? No, I mean, so I'll I'll tell you this, because of the size of my oldest, I definitely think about that. Now, with that said, I want to be very clear that my children are white. So there's a privilege there. Absolutely. I I, I mean, there there is a full on privilege there that I don't ever have to be concerned about, right? Mm -hmm. If my child were a child of color, and he were as big as he is, I would be scared to death to allow him to wander around downtown by himself. Yep. Because my oldest, like we, we live in Boise. He, he goes downtown all the time. We live super close to downtown. It's really great for him to be able to have that autonomy, but we've also talked with our boys quite a bit about how they need to behave, right? How they need to be in public. And because I do think that there is this societal fear of, of teenage boys, right? I think if you are a boy of color, it starts younger than that. But in particular, I think with white children, and this is so this is my experience, is that with my oldest, there is a definite like I see people like look at him and their eyes get huge because not only is he big, he's got this like blonde afro that like is this whole situation. So it's just he's a presence. Gemma is taking her hands and making like, you know, a foot radius around her head. And I really don't think that she's exaggerating too much. It is an impressive head of hair on this child. It it is something. It is something. And so, yes, I, but we have talked to him, to both of them about, all right, you make eye contact. You don't misbehave in public, right? You don't goof or, you know, you don't goof around to the fact where if, you can feel if someone's feeling uncomfortable and yeah. so be be aware of that and everything because my oldest will go with a couple of his friends right and they'll go downtown and they'll goof around and hang out but this also goes back to what we've we've said to him it's like you know we live in a small enough place that people know us see you so i mean for example i had a girlfriend text me one day being like i saw him downtown and and i'm like so you are a reflection in this regard of your parents mm-hmm. of your family so just make good choices so i don't know if that answers your question but i do i'm aware of it it's just i think it's so different though than than like when there are boys of, of color and i will say this that my youngest quite a few of his friends are boys of color we've actually had conversations with him about, you know, when you, as you get older and you are out with your friends, they might be treated differently. Yeah. And then you need to be an upstander because mm-hmm. you're white. Your dad's in the legal profession, right? Mm. It's, we, I mean, and I will tell you this, we have never, we've always said to our boys, don't you ever use our jobs as privilege unless you are in a situation with a friend who is who it may, might be BIPOC. You stand up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You stand up. Yeah, and you say who your dad is, 
that's when you say who your dad is, right? <laughs> use it then. I, I, you use yeah. it then. So it's so in a way, it's almost like use your power of privilege for good, appropriately because you use it appropriately and use it in the right circumstances. Because I do think that sometimes what I see with my oldest, not necessarily him, but some of the kids, you know, in his school, is there is that power of privilege that not only they take for granted but they use it in a way that's not productive and is not respectful. And then that goes back to this idea that boys are inherently bad. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's Try, T-R-Y dot easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys. I want to comment on this um, fear of boys. It's related directly, Gemma, to this, you know, idea boys are bad. And it's so ingrained in so many of us. And frankly, many of us who are female and there are reasons for that, right? I mean, 100%. We, we all know and have experienced some of the ways in which women can be harmed by men. We know these things. And so it's floating around in the ether. It's part of our brains. I will admit that I very much felt that, you know, fear of groups of guys, fear of teenage boys. Until I had teenage boys and I realized what <laughs> doofuses they are. Oh my gosh. It's like, this is what I was afraid of. <laughs> One of the things that was interesting to me, and I, I'm curious about your boys, Gemma, also, is as my boys got older, they started noticing some of that in society mm -hmm. and in how people interact with them. When you are a little boy, you are adorable and people fawn over you, Right. And then you hit puberty and you go through puberty and suddenly people don't gravitate towards you. They don't assume that you're sweet. And sometimes mm -hmm. people will cross the street when they see you with your friends. I remember one of my guys um, when he was in college noticed very much like if he was walking down the street with a group of friends and there was a group of girls, they would cross the street to avoid them. 
I can understand why the girls did that, but this affects boys too. And so I'm wondering, have your guys noticed any of this as they've gotten older? My youngest is too young for that yet. Okay. I mean, he's still definitely in that. And also because of his personality, he's still kind of in that, oh my God, you're so cute face. With with my oldest, I do think that he does notice it. I don't think he, he hasn't necessarily said anything yet, but I think he can feel it. And, and this goes back to, and I don't, I, I don't want to make this so simple and, and, and be like, oh, this is the answer mm-hmm. because I think it's very nuanced. But I will say that with my oldest in particular, I think manners matter. And I know that sounds really silly, mm-hmm. but manners do matter in the they sense do. of like, he looks people in the eye when he speaks to them. He shakes their hand. He can interact with an adult. He, you know, we're like, don't hunch down, don't put your head down. It's it's those types of things because is it his responsibility at 15 years old to make adults feel comfortable? No, it's not. However, he also is going to get certain reactions if he is not proactive in this situation. Mm -hmm. We've been very big on how they interact with other people in particular when we are in social situations and what's interesting is now with both my boys we hear quite often like your boys are so polite they've got such good manners i mean they're 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 just they've got such good manners like they say please and they say thank you and they can order a meal at a restaurant right and i do think that we've lost some of that nuance in our society i really do and i'm not trying to say let's flip it back to the 1950s but i do you think there's something to be said about teaching our children how to interact in society? You mentioned something um, just now that I'm going to relate to something you said previous. When you were talking to your boys, especially your oldest, like basically these weren't your words, but it was basically like, don't kill your brother, you know, and, totally. and you, you can't be physical with him. He took that very literally. And when you talked, you realized how literally he took it. This is extremely common. Boys, especially boys this age, they are very literal. They are concrete thinkers. The more specific and simple directions you can give them, the better. And so the fact that you are having explicit conversations, you know, look somebody in the eye, um, shake hands, uh, might be hold a door. And my boys will do this for people of all ages, all genders, 100%. all whatever. It's not a, it's not a guy girl thing at all. These, we can't assume that these manners are necessarily things that our boys will automatically pick up. These are concrete, discrete skills that can be taught and also role modeling them helps. I've noticed um, because I hear my boys say it all the time, like we'll go somewhere and they'll thank the server. They'll thank the checkout person. Yeah. Guess what? I do that all the time. I have always done that. I didn't realize that they were picking it up, but although you guys, you'll probably find this funny because he is a teenager and, you know, teenage boys like to push boundaries and like to be funny. We went out for mother's day brunch the other day. And I noticed my 17-year-old was saying thank you a lot. And he does say thank you a lot. He thanks me. He thanks his dad. He thanks everybody. But like the server would come to our table and he would manage to get in four or five thank yous before um, before she left. It turned out that he had started that the day before when we, when we went out to dinner to celebrate his brother's graduation because it kind of became a game between him and his brother. Like who could say thank you the most and if she would notice and comment on it. That's hilarious. So, that is so 
boys. <laughs> Teenage boys in particular. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, it goes back to, I do see in particular with my oldest, Janet, to your point about this fear, is that when he engages with other people, in particular adults, when he is out in public, you almost see their guard like come to, it's like it's like people's shoulders relax mm -hmm. like you can see a physical transformation in other people because he is literally engaging mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i think that helps with kind of taking those walls and those barriers and those stereotypes mm -hmm. down by honest to god just teach your kids to have you know, just some rudimentary manners, right? Please, thank you. Because getting back to your point, Jen, I do think that there is an assumption that kids will just learn it. And mm -hmm. look, here's the thing. My kids won't even brush their teeth if I don't tell them to do it. <laughs> so, I mean, they will come home and they will be up from the gym and they will smell so bad. And I'm like, you need to take a shower. Why? Because I can smell you. Can I share I can... a toothbrushing story? Go right ahead. <laughs> All right. Most listeners know for many years, for at least 10 years, maybe closer to 15, it was me and the boys, me and four boys in a house. We had one bathroom. So, you know, one tube of toothpaste in the bathroom shared, you know, all our toothbrushes are in there. Um, two years ago, year and a half ago, moved into a house with my husband. Now we have multiple bathrooms. My husband and I share a bathroom and a tube of toothpaste. The boys are upstairs. I have been shocked at how quickly the tube of toothpaste disappears. And it's just me and my husband, which goes to show that for a lot of those years where I was living with four boys, they were not using that toothpaste very often, Gemma. And I did not know that. Can I tell you? Okay, just this morning, my oldest yelled down the stairs, Mom, like, what? I'm out of toothpaste. My first thought was like, oh my God, you actually use it. <laughs> <laughs> These are the milestones we celebrate. They are. But I mean, that goes back to, we can't make assumptions about our kids, right? Yes. We can't make assumptions that they're going to take a shower when I can smell your butt, because literally I've had to say that, right? I mean, telling them to brush their teeth. It is these things that if you don't tell them, they honestly will not do. So if you don't show them manners, they're not going to have them. And it does make a difference, I think, in particularly with, with boys and teenage boys, you can dispel a lot of people who are uncomfortable when they see a group of teenage boys, when those boys just have good manners, that they are kind, I mean, they're still going to do dumb stuff, because yep, they're teenage yep, boys. 100%. But there's no. going to be a level of like, just honestly, just people breathing kind of a sigh of relief and not making assumptions about those boys. I know that's simple. And I'm sure there'll be people like, come on. I mean, manners. It's part of it. But it is, it's all, it's, it's part of the whole bigger picture. The other thing that we have to do, um, both for our boys and for our communities at large, that can help dispel some of this fear and I mentioned this in um, chapter nine of my book, connect him to the real world, because our boys need to have opportunities 
to interact in the communities with people outside of their age group, right? Mm-hmm. So to interact with both older people and younger people and, and, and do things, hopefully, of use in the community. Because when boys get those opportunities to be in community, to do things with people, to interact with them, as you said, Gemma, you can almost just see some of those barriers and preconceived notions coming down and dripping away. And that's one way that we can all work on breaking down this fear of boys Mm -hmm. that has inhibited both them in the community. And it's frankly, it inhibits their personal growth because when people don't want to engage with them, that robs them of opportunities to learn from others. So it's win, win, win and teaching and role modeling manners and how to interact and what to do in public is part of making that happen. And just remembering what you said earlier, Gemma, about how literal boys are. Like we have to be so specific and lay it out for them. We can't we can't assume that they're going to, as we've been talking about, that they're going to pick it up. So be so specific with them. Mm-hmm. And and I think too, it's uh, we have learned to kind of give. I mean, both of our boys, but definitely our oldest, a lot more autonomy and independence where, so, I mean, we happen to live, yeah, we live in, you know, in an urban area, but it's Boise, but we live very close to downtown. And so one of the things is that my kids love to go to the Y. Well, (laughs) my oldest walked home one day without our knowledge, it was about two years ago and he showed up at home and it was hilarious, but going back to be literal, I mean, so his dad had gone to pick him up. He was waiting, he was waiting. And then all of a sudden Ben shows up at the house and I was literally like, where, so is your dad in the car? No, I don't know where dad is. What do you mean you don't know where your dad is? I walked home. No, you didn't. We live three miles from the Y. This child walked, this child walked home, just walked home, but was like walking through downtown, stopped at BSU, took some pictures, was just having a grand old time. Knew how to get himself home. So that's why I said to Mike, okay, so I apparently forgot to tell you that you can't leave one location without telling me that you're going to another location. <laughs> so we need to have some conversation. So it was honestly like, no, you can do this. You need to let us know. Every single time you leave a location, we need to know. And you know, moving forward and putting the like literally very specific things in place for him to be able to do that. Now, fast forward two years, he'll go to the Y, he'll meet up with friends, and then he'll be like, mom, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go to this place downtown. Okay. Hey mom, um, so-and-so drove here. Can we go to the mall? Yes. And it, because of that, because I'm also big on, I don't need to track you all the time, but you do need to tell me where you are Yeah. because I want him to not only learn that responsibility, but I also want him to learn accountability mm-hmm. that you're accountable when you're in relationship, right? We have, this happens to be a parent child relationship, but if you're ever in a romantic relationship, friendships, you are accountable. So this is one thing you do is you need to ask me then, you know, and, and then I need to know where you're going with who this or that. And it has just become second nature with him. But this has been something that we have been working on and being very diligent about for the last two years when he decided to walk home by himself without telling us. 
-hmm. But that's also when I realized, oh, you're ready for this. Like I wasn't ready, but you're ready for it. So now let's make sure we do this in a way that is safe for you. And it's also that you, that other people aren't afraid of you, all of these things, right? Janet, you talked recently with Jerome Hunter. And one of the things he talked about is as boys hit those middle school years and early adolescent years, they want more autonomy and Mm -hmm. freedom and independence. And you are frequently telling parents, hey, your parenting has to shift as your boys hit this age. And talking to you right now, Gemma, it sounds a little bit like this was an easy transition for you, but (laughs) <laughs> I see your the look sure your it was yeah right. but I know from experience that it rarely is so um talk to the other parents who may be navigating this you know it's such a shift from basically I control your whole world to I'm letting you do more and mm-hmm. I have to sort of sit by and watch you screw up okay I'm gonna tell you a little secret and my kids aren't here and my oldest doesn't know this um and he'll never listen to this podcast so I know a lot of parents who use these apps, one being like Life360, right? Yep. So you can track your child, like, I mean, to the point where I literally had friends say, like, their kids won't tell them where they're going or what they're doing. Like, all you're going to do is look on the app. Oh. Well, what we did was we just enabled Find My iPhone okay. on my oldest iPhone. All that does is show me where his phone is, where the, what location. He does not know this. I'm not going to tell him this. And here's why is because it goes back to that accountability. I want him to be telling me where he is going, who he is with all of those things. If he knew that that was enabled, my oldest would flat out never tell me a thing. Yeah, and he'd be right. like, well, you're going to track, he'd be like, you're going to track me anyway. Mm-hmm. So what's funny is sometimes he'll be somewhere and he may not have told me. Right. Especially if he's with a friend who, who can drive. And and then all I'll say is like, how are things going at the Y? I'll just text him. And they'll be like, oh, so we went to the mall. Sorry, I meant to, I meant to text you. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me know if, if, if you're going anywhere else. And then it's like, oh, we're going to Olive Garden. Oh, we're doing this. We're going back to so-and-so's house. It's one of those things that, I mean, I'm sure some people disagree with that about not letting him know, but I, but I want, I, I don't want to make him feel guilty about not telling me. I don't want him to feel shame about not telling me. It is a matter of, I need him to be accountable for where he is and to take responsibility for what he's doing. So for a parent who's just starting this, we started very, very small. And I didn't feel comfortable giving my oldest any leeway until I could physically, like, until I could physically contact him. So he got a phone when he went into sixth grade, when he went into middle school. And then what I would do is if I was running late after school, um, and he couldn't have his phone on in school. They have really, really strict policies. So he actually had to be outside of the school gate, then he could turn his phone on. And so then I would sometimes text him and be like, hey, I'm running 20 minutes late. Go get your brother and walk over to this store. Because there's a store by their school that a lot of kids go to. And stay there and and I'll pick you up. And he was highly responsible and he always did that. And he would always text me back. But we also were like, if I text you, you must text me back, mm-hmm. you know, and if I'm trying to get a hold of you, 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 you know, take your ringer off silent when you turn your <laughs> phone back on. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Again, Again, super concrete, super specific. Right. And so you have to start really, really small with get your brother, walk across the street. I will pick you up. (laughs) And, and then, you know, but he was 11, 11 and a half. He was sixth grade. So we're talking four years. Now we are at this point because he's also going to be driving within the next year. Yeah. And there was no way that I was going to have my kid drive and get behind the wheel of a car without having learned any type of responsibility or accountability. Yeah. But you have to start really small, like pick up your brother, go across the street. And start earlier than you think. And I think too, you know, looking for opportunities for them to have some autonomy earlier than you, especially as mama think that it's time to have that it's hard oh. it's hard to let your kid walk to the store the first time by themselves he was so much more he he was he was much more ready than I was but what I find is that now with my youngest I give him more leeway mm-hmm. because I'm like oh I think younger kids can kind of be ready for it because they have an older sibling, Mm -hmm. but also I don't have this horrible, desperate fear. It's kind of like, I'm in this point now where I keep thinking about like my oldest going away to college. I mean, I've got three years, right? And it is this like, literally, like I can break out in hives thinking about it. I had his kindergarten teacher tell me just the other day, she, she said, she goes, so the anticipation of them leaving is worse than them leaving. And I was, and I was like, oh, really? And she was like, I swear to God. She goes, it is. She was like, it is the anticipation of them leaving. So it's even with those little things before we ever get to them going away to college is I think that we as parents and as moms have such a, we have such a fear that something is going to happen to them, that they won't know what to do. So we hold on so tight. And it's like, we've got to give them little baby steps to autonomy so that when we release them into the wild, into high school, right? that they have a, that they're, they know how to make good choices. At least most of the time, they most, know how to make good choices. <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> emphasize that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that them gaining autonomy is, is critically important. And the other thing that I've started to do with my teen is, I, I try not to tell him what to do anymore. And I try not to say, you must do this. You must do that. Like just before we got on this call, he is supposed to go to an open gym for basketball after school today. He also has a biology test tomorrow. It's also the end of the school year. And, you know, he just wants to also be done with things. So he texts me and he's like, cause now he can have his phone on in high school. They can have their phone on in high school. And, and he was like, do I have to go to open gym today? And he goes, because I need to study for biology. And I was, and I said, well, you missed it Friday. I I think maybe you should go at least for a little while. Maybe I could pick you up early and then you could come home and study. And he's like, well, I'm sick too. And I'm like, okay, well, if it were me, I would maybe not go today, but go Friday. Well, I'll see how I feel. And so it goes on and on and on. But with that said, I try to use more statements about here's what I would do in that situation or you know instead of telling him what to do 
because it's almost more like they need me now to, he needs me now to kind of coach him. And so I finally said to him, as we're going back and forth in this text ring, I said, well, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? Yeah, you've laid out the options and ultimately it is his decision. You can give that over to him and bravo. Because I think that, that we feel like sometimes we have to continue to tell them what to do mm-hmm. and they don't a they don't want us to tell them what to do but if we continue to tell them what to do they'll never know what to do when we're not there yeah so true it's that place where we have two options i mean even as adults it's hard to decide oh should i do this or should i do that and you're kind of paralyzed in that so coaching them through those moments is helping build that muscle yeah Parenting uh, preteens and teens is so different in so many ways from, you know, parenting our younger boys, uh, preschoolers, certainly infants, even elementary school kids. That is such a hands-on stage of parenting. Like they literally need us to feed them and clothe them and transport them places. And so all that's gone now. And yet you are describing It is still a very intensive stage of parenting. It might not look like you are doing anything, but all of this coaching and helping uh, manage emotions and teaching how to manage emotions, it is an intensive stage of parenting that just looks very different than your previous ones. And so to all of you parents who are out there, I also want to say like, I see you. I see the work that you are doing. Sometimes it might look like I'm just sitting on the couch or laying on the couch and not doing anything, but my head is spinning or I'm having like two text conversations, managing stuff and coaching somebody through it. It's work. It matters. And it is so important. And and I think that for me, at least every stage of parenting has its joys and its difficulties. You know, for example, my sister was here over Easter and they, and she has a two-year-old. And good Lord, I was like, oh, thank <laughs> God. I, I Janet, mean, you're going to be there with Bo soon. <laughs> but it takes you back to that time of how physically Demanding. intense that time of parenting is, right? It's the physicality of parenting. I mean, you cannot put, you have to keep your eye on them all of the time because if they stick something in their mouth, they could choke and they could die and all of yep. these things. But I feel like now I am in this stage of parenting where it is, it's the mental load of parenting Mm -hmm. it that and that mental load, it never stops. Like it is because all of a sudden I feel like it's like, oh, this, this child's actually a human being that's going (laughs) to be out in the world. And will he be ready? And I have three years and it's just, there is a mental load and a mental toll and they are breaking away from you. They are being their worst selves in so many ways around you. Right. So it's all of these, just, it's so intense. It is so intense. And you're right, Jen, that I think sometimes it looks like parents of teens are just sitting back, not doing anything. And I mean, I feel like it's constant yes. in a way that it, in a way that it wasn't when they were younger, because it was just physical when they were younger. When they were younger, I could put them to bed and be done for the day. Yes. No longer true. No longer true. No, because my oldest wants to have a conversation at, at 10 o'clock at night. 
Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I won't talk to you for a week. I will say three words to you. But then at 10 o'clock at night, when I'm literally about to go to bed, hey, mom. And you're yep. like, I need now. And then you know you have to have the conversation. Yes. I so look forward to uh, checking in with you when uh, your oldest is mm, 17. Let's let him yeah. get driving a little bit, yeah. but let's check in in a couple years when he's 17 and see see how things are going. And I, and I will say this. I think it's so important that we tell each other that we are good parents, right? Yes. When you see a parent, like it, it means the world and I think that sometimes we forget that. And, you know, even when my sister was here, you know, I just looked at her one day and I go, you're such a good mom. Mm. You know, you're, you're, you're a good mom. And we need to hear that, especially in these teenage years. Because Mm -hmm. our kids aren't necessarily telling it to us. Not like when they were four and they're like, mommy, I'm going to marry you. No, no, no. Now it's, now it is, it's, I mean, literally you could say the sky is blue and they'd be like, no, it's not. Exactly. Uh-huh. Gemma, thank you so much for joining us today. You are a wise woman. You are a wise mama and your insight and understanding of boys and then your willingness to be real about the whole thing. We love that. And I know our listeners do too. Thank you, Gemma. Oh, thank you both. Wise words from a wise and experienced mama. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please share it with a friend and thank you for supporting our sponsors. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.